Chapter 64 of The Golden Bough. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Golden Bough by Sir James Frazier. Chapter 64 The Burning of Human Beings in the Fires. Section 1 The Burning of Effigies in the Fires. We have still to ask. What is the meaning of burning effigies in the fire at these festivals? After the preceding investigation, the answer to the question seems obvious. As the fires are often alleged to be kindled for the purpose of burning the witches, and as the effigy burnt in them is sometimes called the witch, we might naturally be disposed to conclude that all the effigies consumed in the flames on these occasions represent witches or warlocks, and that the custom of burning them is merely a substitute for burning the wicked men and women themselves since on the principles of homeopathic or imitative magic you practically destroy the witch herself in destroying her effigy on the whole this explanation of burning the straw figures in human shape at the festivals is perhaps the most probable yet it may be that this explanation does not apply to all the cases and that certain of them may admit and even require another interpretation. For the effigies so burned, as I have already remarked, can hardly be separated from the effigies of death, which are burned or otherwise destroyed in spring, and grounds have been already given for regarding the so-called effigies of death as really representatives of the tree spirit or spirit of vegetation. Are the other effigies, which are burned in the spring and midsummer bonfires, susceptible of the same explanation it would seem so for just as the fragments of the so-called death are stuck in the fields to make the crops grow so the charred embers of the figure burned in the spring bonfires are sometimes laid on the fields in the belief that they will keep a vermin from the crop again the rule that the last married bride must leap over the fire in which the straw man is burned on shrove tuesday is probably intended to make her fruitful. But, as we have seen, the power of blessing women with offspring is a special attribute of tree spirits. It is therefore a fair presumption that the burning effigy over which the bride must leap is a representative of the fertilizing tree spirit, or spirit of vegetation. This character of the effigy, as representative of the spirit of vegetation, is almost unmistakable when the figure is composed of an unthreshed sheaf of corn or is covered from head to foot with flowers again it is to be noted that instead of a puppet trees either living or felled are sometimes burned both in the spring and midsummer bonfires now considering the frequency with which the tree spirit is represented in human shape it is hardly rash to suppose that when sometimes a tree and sometimes an effigy is burned in these fires, the effigy and the tree are regarded as equivalent to each other, each being a representative of the tree spirit. This again is confirmed by observing, first, that sometimes the effigy which is to be burned is carried about simultaneously with a may tree, the former being carried by the boys, the latter by the girls. And second, that the effigy is sometimes tied to a living tree and burned with it. In these cases, we can scarcely doubt the tree spirit is representative, as we have found it represented before, in duplicate, 
both by the tree and by the effigy that the true character of the effigy as a representative of the beneficent spirit of vegetation should sometimes be forgotten is natural the custom of burning a beneficent god is too foreign to later modes of thought to escape misinterpretation naturally enough the people who continued to burn his image came in time to identify it as the effigy of persons whom on various grounds they regarded with aversion such as judas iscariot luther and a witch the general reasons for killing a god or his representative have been examined in a preceding chapter but when the god happens to be a deity of vegetation there are special reasons why he should die by fire for light and heat are necessary to vegetable growth and on the principle of sympathetic magic by subjecting the personal representative of vegetation to their influence you secure a supply of these necessaries for trees and crops in other words by burning the spirit of vegetation in a fire which represents the sun you make sure that for a time at least vegetation shall have plenty of sun it may be objected that if the intention is simply to secure enough sunshine for vegetation this end would be better attained on the principles of sympathetic magic by merely passing the representative of vegetation through the fire instead of burning him in point of fact this is sometimes done in russia as we have seen the straw figure of cupolo is not burned in the midsummer fire but merely carried backwards and forwards across it but for the reasons already given it is necessary that the god should die so next day cupolo is stripped of her ornaments and thrown into a stream in this russian custom the passage of the image through the fire if it is not simply a purification may simply be a sun charm the killing of the god is a separate act and the mode of killing him by drowning is probably a rain charm but usually people have not thought it necessary to draw this fine distinction for the various reasons already assigned it is advantageous they think to expose the god of vegetation to a considerable degree of heat and it is also advantageous to kill him and they combine these advantages in a rough and ready way by burning him section two the burning of men and animals in the fires in the popular customs connected with the fire festivals of europe there are certain features which appear to point to a former practice of human sacrifice we have seen reasons for believing that in europe living persons have often acted as representatives of the tree spirit and corn spirit and have suffered death as such there is no reason therefore why they should not have been burned if any special advantages were likely to be attained by putting them to death in that way the consideration of human suffering is not one which enters into the calculations of primitive man now in the fire festivals which we are discussing the pretense of burning people is sometimes carried so far that it seems reasonable to regard it as a mitigated survival of an older custom of actually burning them thus in Aachen, as we saw, the man clad in peas straw acts so cleverly that the children really believe he is being burned. At Jumiegis in Normandy, the man clad all in green, who bore the title of the Green Wolf, was pursued by his comrades. 
and when they caught him, they feigned to fling him upon the midsummer bonfire. Similarly, at the Beltane fires in Scotland, the pretended victim was seized, and a show made of throwing him into the flames, and for some time afterwards people affected to speak of him as dead. Again, in the Halloween bonfires of northeastern Scotland, we may perhaps detect a similar pretense in the custom observed by a lad of lying down as close to the fire as possible, and allowing the other lads to leap over him. The titular king at Aix, who reigned for a year and danced the first dance round the midsummer bonfire, may perhaps in days of old have discharged the less agreeable duty of serving as fuel for that fire, which in later times he only kindled. In the following customs, Manhart is probably right in recognizing traces of an old custom of burning a leaf-clad representative of the spirit of vegetation. At Wolfeck in Austria, on Midsummer Day, a boy completely clad in green fir branches goes from house to house, accompanied by a noisy crew, collecting wood for the bonfire. As he gets the wood, he sings, Forest trees I want, no sour milk for me, but beer and wine, so can the woodman be jolly and gay. In some parts of Bavaria also, the boys who go from house to house collecting fuel for the midsummer bonfire envelope one of their number from head to foot in green branches of firs and lead him by a rope through the whole village. At Muschheim in Württemberg, the festival of St. John's Fire usually lasted for fourteen days, ending on the second Sunday after Midsummer Day. On this last day, the bonfire was left in charge of the children, while the older people retired to a wood. Here they encased a young fellow in leaves and twigs, who, thus disguised, went to the fire, scattered it, and trod it out. All the people present fled at the sight of him. But it seems possible to go farther than this. Of human sacrifices offered on these occasions, the most unequivocal traces, as we have seen, are those which, about a hundred years ago, still lingered at the Beltane fires in the highlands of Scotland, that is, among the Celtic people who, situated in a remote corner of Europe and almost completely isolated from foreign influence, had till then conserved their old heathenism better perhaps than any other people in the west of Europe. It is significant, therefore, that human sacrifices by fire are known, on unquestionable evidence, to have been systematically practiced by the Celts. The earliest description of these sacrifices has been bequeathed to us by Julius Caesar. As conqueror of the hitherto independent Celts of Gaul, Caesar had ample opportunity of observing the national Celtic religion and manners, while these were still fresh and crisp from the native mint, and had not yet been fused in the melting pot of Roman civilization. With his own notes, Caesar appears to have incorporated the observations of a Greek explorer, by name Posidonius, who travelled in Gaul about fifty years before Caesar carried the Roman arms to the English Channel, the Greek geographer Strabo and the historian Diodorus seem also to have derived their descriptions of the Celtic sacrifices from the work of Posidonius, but independently of each other, 
and of Caesar, for each of the three derivative accounts contains some details which are not to be found in either of the others. By combining them, therefore, we can restore the original account of Posidonius with some probability, and thus obtain a picture of the sacrifices offered by the Celts of Gaul at the close of the second century before our era. The following seem to have been the main outlines of the custom. Condemned criminals were reserved by the Celts in order to be sacrificed to the gods at a great festival, which took place once in every five years. The more there were of such victims, the greater was believed to be the fertility of the land. If there were not enough criminals to furnish victims, captives taken in war were immolated to supply the deficiency. When the time came, the victims were sacrificed by the druids or priests. Some they shot down with arrows, some they impaled, and some they burned alive in the following manner. Colossal images of wickerwork or of wood and grass were constructed. These were filled with live men, cattle, and animals of other kinds. Fire was then applied to the images, and they were burned with their living contents. Such were the great festivals held once every five years. But besides these quinquennial festivals, celebrated on so grand a scale, and with, apparently, so large an expenditure of human life, it seems reasonable to suppose that festivals of the same sort, only on a lesser scale, were held annually, and that from these annual festivals are linearly descended some at least of the fire festivals which, with their traces of human sacrifices, are still celebrated year by year in many parts of Europe. The gigantic images constructed of osiers, or covered with grass in which the druids enclosed their victims, remind us of the leafy framework in which the human representative of the tree spirit is still so often encased. Hence, seeing that the fertility of the land was apparently supposed to depend upon the due performance of these sacrifices, Manhart interpreted the Celtic victims, cased in orsiers and grass, as representatives of the tree spirit, or spirit of vegetation. These wicker giants of the Druids seem to have had till lately, if not down to the present time, their representatives at the spring and midsummer festivals of modern Europe. At Jouet, down at least to the early part of the nineteenth century, a procession took place annually on the Sunday nearest to the seventh of July. The great feature of the procession was a colossal figure some twenty or thirty feet high, made of orsiers, and called the giant, which was moved through the streets by means of rollers and ropes worked by men who were enclosed within the effigy. The figure was armed as a knight with lance and sword, helmet and shield. Behind him marched his wife and his three children, all constructed of orsiers on the same principle, but on a smaller scale. At Dunkirk, the procession of the giants took place on Midsummer Day, the 24th of June. The festival, which was known as the Follies of Dunkirk, attracted multitudes of spectators. The giant was a huge figure of wickerwork, occasionally as much as forty-five feet high, dressed in a long blue robe with gold stripes which reached to his feet. 
concealing the dozen or more men who made it dance and bob its head to the spectators. This colossal effigy went by the name of Papa Royce, and carried in its pocket a bouncing infant of Bromdingnagian proportions. The rear was brought up by the daughter of the giant, constructed, like her sire, of wickerwork, and little, if at all, inferior to him in size. Most towns and even villages of Brabant and Flanders have, or used to have, similar wicker giants which were annually led about to the delight of the populace, who loved these grotesque figures, spoke of them with patriotic enthusiasm, and never wearied of gazing at them. At Antwerp, the giant was so big that no gate in the city was large enough to let him go through. Hence, he could not visit his brother giants in neighboring towns, as the other Belgian giants used to do on solemn occasions. In England, artificial giants seem to have been a standing feature of the Midsummer Festival. A writer of the 16th century speaks of, quote, Midsummer pageants in London, where, to make the people wonder, are set forth great and ugly giants, marching as if they were alive, and armed at all points, but within they are stuffed full of brown paper and tow, which the shrewd boys, under peering, do guilefully discover, and turn to a great derision. At Chester, the annual pageant on Midsummer Eve included the effigies of four giants, with animals, hobby-horses, and other figures. At Coventry, it appears that the giant's wife figured beside the giant. At Burford, in Oxfordshire, Midsummer Eve used to be celebrated with great jollity by the carrying of a giant and a dragon up and down the town. The last survivor of these perambulating English giants lingered at Salisbury, where an antiquary found him molding to decay in the neglected hall of the tailor's company about the year 1844. His bodily framework was a lathe and hoop, like the one which used to be worn by Jack and the Green on May Day. In these cases, the giants merely figured in the processions, but sometimes they were burned in the summer bonfires. Thus, the people of the Rue aux Hours in Paris used annually to make a great wickerwork figure dressed as a soldier, which they promenaded up and down the streets for several days and solemnly burned on the 3rd of July, the crowd of spectators singing Salve Regina. A personage who bore the title of king presided over the ceremony with a lighted torch in his hand. The burning fragments of the image were scattered among the people, who eagerly scrambled for them. The custom was abolished in 1743. In Brie, Isle de France, a wickerwork giant, 18 feet high, was annually burned on Midsummer Eve. Again, the druidical custom of burning live animals enclosed in wickerwork has a counterpart at the spring and midsummer festivals. At Lucone, in the Pyrenees on Midsummer Eve, quote, a hollow column composed of strong wickerwork is raised to the height of about sixty feet in the center of the principal suburb and interlaced with green foliage up to the very top, while the most beautiful flowers and shrubs procurable are artistically arranged in groups below so as to form a sort of background to the scene. 
the column is then filled with combustible materials ready for ignition at the appointed hour about eight p m a grand procession composed of the clergy followed by young men and maidens in holiday attire pour forth from the town chanting hymns and take up their position around the column meanwhile bonfires are lit with beautiful effect in the surrounding hills as many living serpents as could be collected are now thrown into the column which is set on fire at the base by means of torches armed with which about fifty boys and men dance around with frantic gestures the serpents to avoid the flames wriggle their way to the top hence they are seen lashing out laterally until finally obliged to drop their struggles for life giving rise to enthusiastic delight among the surrounding spectators this is a favorite annual ceremony for the inhabitants of lucone and its neighborhood and local tradition assigns it to a heathen origin in the midsummer fires formerly kindled on the Plaque de greve at paris it was the custom to burn a basket barrel or sackful of live cats which was hung from a tall mast in the midst of a bonfire sometimes a fox was burned the people collected the embers and ashes of the fire and took them home believing that they brought good luck the french kings often witnessed these spectacles and even lit the bonfire with their own hands in sixteen forty eight louis the fourteenth crowned with a wreath of roses and carrying a bunch of roses in his hand kindled the fire danced at it and partook of the banquet afterwards in the town hall but this was the last occasion when a monarch presided at the midsummer bonfire in paris at metz midsummer fires were lighted with great pomp on the esplanade and a dozen cats enclosed in wicker cages were burned alive in them to the amusement of the people similarly at gap in the department of the high alps cats used to be roasted over the midsummer bonfire in russia a white cock was sometimes burned in the midsummer bonfire in messane or thuringia a horse's head used to be thrown into it sometimes animals are burned in the spring bonfires in the vosges cats were burned on shrove tuesday in alsace they were thrown into the easter bonfire in the department of the andrenay cats were flung into the bonfires kindled on the first sunday in lent sometimes by a refinement of cruelty they were hung over the fire by the end of a pole and roasted alive the cat which represented the devil could never suffer enough while the creatures were perishing in the flames the shepherds guarded their flocks and forced them to leap over the fire esteeming this an infallible means of preserving them from disease and witchcraft we have seen that squirrels were sometimes burned in the easter fire thus it appears that the sacrificial rites of the celts of ancient gaul can be traced in the popular festivals of modern europe naturally it is in france or rather in the wider area comprised within the limits of ancient gaul that these rites have left the clearest traces in the customs of burning giants of wicker-work and animals enclosed in wicker-work or baskets these customs it will have been remarked are generally observed at or about midsummer 
from this we may infer that the original rites of which these are the degenerate successors were solemnized at midsummer this inference harmonizes with the conclusion suggested by a general survey of european folk custom that the midsummer festival must on the whole have been the most widely diffused and the most solemn of all the yearly festivals celebrated by the primitive aryans in europe at the same time we must bear in mind that among the british celts the chief fire festivals of the year appear certainly to have been those of beltane or may day and halloween or the last day of october and this suggests a doubt whether the celts of gaul also may not have celebrated their principal rites of fire including their burnt sacrifices of men and animals at the beginning of may or at the beginning of november rather than at midsummer we have still to ask what is the meaning of such sacrifices why were men and animals burnt to death at these festivals if we are right in interpreting the modern european fire festivals as attempts to break the power of witchcraft by burning or banning the witches and warlocks it seems to follow that we must explain the human sacrifices of the celts in the same manner that is we must suppose that the men whom the druids burnt in wicker-work images were condemned to death on the ground that they were witches or wizards and that the mode of execution by fire was chosen because burning alive is deemed the surest mode of getting rid of these noxious and dangerous beings the same explanation would apply to the cattle and wild animals of many kinds which the celts burned along with the men they too we may conjecture were supposed to be either under the spell of witchcraft or actually to be witches and wizards who had transformed themselves into animals for the purpose of prosecuting their infernal plots against the welfare of their fellow-creatures this conjecture is confirmed by the observation that the victims most commonly burned in modern bonfires have been cats and that cats are precisely the animals into which with the possible exception of hares witches were most usually supposed to transform themselves again we have seen that serpents and foxes used sometimes to be burned in the midsummer fires and welsh and german witches are reported to have assumed the form both of foxes and serpents in short when we remember the great variety of animals whose forms witches can assume at pleasure it seems easy on this hypothesis to account for the variety of living creatures that have been burnt at festivals both in ancient gaul and modern europe all these victims we may surmise were doomed to the flames not because they were animals but because they were believed to be witches who had taken the shape of animals for their nefarious purposes one advantage of explaining the ancient celtic sacrifices in this way is that it introduces as it were a harmony and consistency into the treatment which europe has meted out to witches from the earliest times down to about two centuries ago when the growing influence of rationalism discredited the belief in witchcraft and put a stop to the custom of burning witches be that as it may we can now perhaps understand why the druids believed that the more persons they sentenced to death the greater would be the fertility of their land to a modern reader 
the connection at first sight may not be obvious between the activity of the hangman and the productivity of the earth but a little reflection may satisfy him that when the criminals who perish at the stake or on the gallows are witches whose delight it is to blight the crops of the farmer or to lay them low under storms of hail the execution of these witches is really calculated to ensure an abundant harvest by removing one of the principal causes which paralyze the efforts and blast the hopes of the husbandmen. The druidical sacrifices which we are considering were explained in a different way by W. Monhart. He supposed that the men whom the druids burned in wickerwork images represented the spirits of vegetation, and accordingly that the custom of burning them was a magical ceremony intended to secure the necessary sunshine for the crops similarly he seems to have inclined to the view that the animals which used to be burned in the bonfires represented the corn spirit which as we saw in an earlier part of this work is often supposed to assume the shape of an animal this theory is no doubt tenable and the great authority of w monhart entitles it to careful consideration i adopted it in former editions of this book but on reconsideration it seems to me on the whole to be less probable than the theory that the men and animals burnt in the fires perished in the character of the witches this latter view is strongly supported by the testimony of the people who celebrate the fire festivals since the popular name for the custom of kindling the fires is burning the witches effigies of witches are sometimes consumed in the flames and the fires their embers or their ashes are supposed to furnish protection against witchcraft on the other hand there is little to show that the effigies or the animals burnt in the fires are regarded by the people as representatives of the vegetation spirit and that the bonfires are sun charms with regard to serpents in particular which used to be burned in the midsummer fire at Lucone, I am not aware of any certain evidence that in Europe snakes have been regarded as embodiments of the tree spirit or corn spirit. The conception appears to be not unknown. Whereas the popular faith in the transformation of witches into animals is so general and deeply rooted, and the fear of these uncanny beings is so strong, that it seems safer to suppose that the cats and other animals which were burnt in the fire suffered death as embodiments of witches than that they perished as representatives of vegetation spirits. End of chapter 64